3, Chapters 4 and 5 of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding. Book 3, Chapter 4. A Description of Mr. Wilson's Way of Living. The Tragical Adventure of the Dog and Other Grave Matters. The gentleman returned with the bottle, and Adams and he sat some time silent, when the former started up and cried, No, that won't do. The gentleman inquired into his meaning. He answered, He had been considering that it was possible the late famous King Theodore might have been that very son whom he had lost, but added, that his age could not answer that imagination. However, says he, G. Blank disposes all things for the best, and very probably he may be some great man or duke, and may one day or other revisit you in that capacity. The gentleman answered, he should know him amongst ten thousand for he had a mark on his left breast of a strawberry, which his mother had given him, by longing for that fruit. That beautiful young lady, the morning, now rose from her bed, and with a countenance blooming with fresh youth and sprightliness, like Miss Blank Blank. Footnote. Whoever the reader pleases with soft dews hanging on her pouting lips, began to take her early walk over the eastern hills, and presently after that gallant person, the son, stole softly from his wife's chamber to pay his addresses to her. When the gentleman asked his guest if he would walk forth and survey his little garden, which he readily agreed to, and Joseph, at the same time, awaking from a sleep in which he had been two hours buried, went with them. No parterres, no fountains, no statues embellished this little garden. Its only ornament was a short walk, shaded on each side by a filbert hedge, with a small alcove at one end, whither in hot weather the gentleman and his wife used to retire and divert themselves with their children, who played in the walk before them. But, though vanity had no votary in this little spot, here was variety of fruit and everything useful for the kitchen, which was abundantly sufficient to catch the admiration of Adams, who told the gentleman he had certainly a good gardener. Sir, answered he, that gardener is now before you. Whatever you see here is the work solely of my own hands. Whilst I am providing necessaries for my table, I likewise procure myself an appetite for them. In fair seasons I seldom pass less than six hours of the twenty-four in this place, where I am not idle, and by these means I have been able to preserved my health ever since my arrival here, without assistance from physic. Hither I generally repair at the dawn, 
and exercise myself whilst my wife dresses her children and prepares our breakfast, after which we are seldom asunder during the residue of the day, for when the weather will not permit them to accompany me here, I am usually within with them, for I am neither ashamed of conversing with my wife, nor of playing with my children. To say the truth, I do not perceive that inferiority of understanding, which the levity of rakes, the dullness of men of business, or the austerity of the learned, would persuade us of in women. As for my woman, I declare I have found none of my own sex capable of making juster observations on life, or of delivering them more agreeably, nor do I believe any one possessed of a faithfuller or braver friend. And sure as this friendship is sweetened with more delicacy and tenderness, so it is confirmed by dearer pledges than can attend the closest male alliance. For what union can be so fast as our common interest in the fruits of our embraces? Perhaps, sir, you are not yourself a father. If you are not, be assured you cannot conceive the delight I have in my little ones. Would you not despise me if you saw me stretched on the ground, and my children playing round me? I should reverence the sight, quoth Adams. I myself am now the father of six, and have been of eleven, and I can say I never scourged a child of my own, unless as his schoolmaster, and then have felt every stroke on my own posteriors. And as to what you say concerning women, I have often lamented my own wife did not understand Greek. The gentleman smiled and answered, he would not be apprehended to insinuate that his own had an understanding above the care of her family. On the contrary, says he, my Harriet, I assure you, is a notable housewife, and few gentlemen's housekeepers understand cookery or confectionery better. But these are arts which she hath no great occasion for now. However, the wine you commended so much last night at supper was of her own making, as is indeed all the liquor in my house, except my beer, which falls to my province. And I assure you, it is as excellent, quoth Adams, as ever I tasted. We formerly kept a maid-servant, but since my girls have been growing up, she is unwilling to indulge them in idleness, for, as the fortunes I shall give them will be very small, we intend not to breed them above the rank they are likely to fill hereafter, nor to teach them to despise or ruin a plain husband. Indeed, I could wish a man of my own temper, and a retired life, might fall to their lot. For I have experienced that calm, serene happiness, which is seated in content, is inconsistent with the hurry and bustle of the world. He was proceeding thus, when the little things, 
being just risen, ran eagerly towards him, and asked him blessing. They were shy to the strangers, but the eldest acquainted her father that her mother and the young gentlewoman were up, and that breakfast was ready. They all went in, where the gentleman was surprised at the beauty of Fanny, who had, now, recovered herself from her fatigue, and was entirely clean-dressed, for the rogues who had taken away her purse had left her her bundle. But if he was so much amazed at the beauty of this young creature, his guests were no less charmed at the tenderness which appeared in the behaviour of the husband and wife to each other, and to their children, and at the dutiful and affectioned behaviour of these to their parents. These instances place the well-disposed mind of Adams, equally with the readiness which they expressed to oblige their guests, and their forwardness to offer them the best of everything in their house. And what delighted him still more was an instance or two of their charity, for whilst they were at breakfast the good woman was called for to assist her sick neighbour, which she did with some cordials made for the public use, and the good man went into his garden at the same time to supply another with something which he wanted thence, for they had nothing which those who wanted it were not welcome to. These good people were in the utmost cheerfulness when they heard the report of a gun, and immediately afterwards a little dog, the favourite of the eldest daughter, came limping in all bloody, and laid himself at his mistress's feet. The poor girl, who was about eleven years old, burst into tears at the sight, and presently one of the neighbours came in, and informed them that the young squire, the son of the lord of the manor, had shot him as he passed by, swearing at the same time he would prosecute the master of him for keeping a spaniel, for that he had given notice he would not suffer one in the parish. The dog, whom his mistress had taken into her lap, died in a few minutes. Licking her hand, she expressed great agony at his loss, and the other children began to cry for their sister's misfortune, nor could Fanny herself refrain. Whilst the father and mother attempted to comfort her, Adams grasped his crab-stick, and would have sallied out after the squire, had not Joseph withheld him. He could not, however, bridle his tongue. He pronounced the word rascal with great emphasis, said he deserved to be hanged more than a highwayman, and wished he had the scourging him. The mother took her child, lamenting and carrying the dead favourite in her arms, out of the room, when the gentleman said this was the second time the squire had endeavoured to kill the little wretch, and had wounded him smartly once before adding, he could have no motive but ill nature for the little thing, which was not near as big as one's fist, had never been twenty yards from the house in the six years his daughter had had it. He said 
he had done nothing to deserve this usage, but his father had too great a fortune to contend with, that he was as absolute as any tyrant in the universe, and had killed all the dogs, and taken away all the guns in the neighborhood, and not only that, but he trampled down hedges, and rode over corn and gardens, with no more regard than if they were the highway. I wish I could catch him in my garden, says Adams, though I would rather forgive him riding through my house than such an ill-natured act as this. The cheerfulness of their conversation being interrupted by this accident, in which the guests could be of no service to their kind entertainer, and as the mother was taken up in administering consolation to the poor girl, whose disposition was too good hastily to forget the sudden loss of her little favourite, which had been fondling with her a few minutes before. And as Joseph and Fanny were impatient to get home and begin those previous ceremonies to their happiness, which Adams had insisted on, they now offered to take their leave. The gentleman importuned them much to stay dinner, but when he found their eagerness to depart, he summoned his wife, and accordingly, having performed all the usual ceremonies of bows and curtsies, more pleasant to be seen than to be related, they took their leave, the gentleman and his wife heartily wishing them a good journey, and they as heartily thanking them for their kind entertainment. They then departed, Adams declaring that this was the manner in which the people had lived in the golden age. Chapter 5. A Disputation on Schools, held on the road between Mr. Abraham Adams and Joseph, and a discovery not unwelcome to them both. Our travellers, having well refreshed themselves at the gentleman's house, Joseph and Fanny, with sleep, and Mr. Abraham Adams, with ale and tobacco, renewed their journey with great alacrity, and, pursuing the road into which they were directed, travelled many miles before they met with any adventure worth relating. In this interval we shall present our readers with a very curious discourse, as we apprehend it, concerning public schools, which passed between Mr. Joseph Andrews and Mr. Abraham Adams. They had not gone far before Adams, calling to Joseph, asked him, if he had attended to the gentleman's story. He answered, to all the former part, and don't you think, says he, he was a very unhappy man in his youth? A very unhappy man indeed answered the other. Joseph, cries Adams, screwing up his mouth, I have found it, I have discovered the cause of all the misfortunes which befell him. A public school, Joseph, was the cause of all the calamities which he afterwards suffered. Public schools are the nurseries of all vice and immorality. All the wicked fellows whom I remember at the university were bred at them. Ah, Lord, 
I can remember as well as if it was but yesterday, a knot of them. They called them King's Scholars. I forget why. Very wicked fellows. Joseph, you may thank the Lord you were not bred at a public school. You would never have preserved your virtue as you have. The first care I always take is of a boy's morals. I had rather he should be a blockhead than an atheist or a Presbyterian. What is all the learning in the world compared to his immortal soul? What shall a man take in exchange for his soul? But the masters of great schools trouble themselves about no such thing. I have known a lad of eighteen at the university who hath not been able to say his catechism. But for my own part, I always scourged a lad sooner for missing that than any other lesson. Believe me, child, all that gentleman's misfortunes arose from his being educated at a public school. It doth not become me, answered Joseph, to dispute anything, sir, with you, especially a matter of this kind, for to be sure you must be allowed by all the world to be the best teacher of a school in all our county. Yes, that, says Williams, I believe is granted me, that I may without much vanity pretend to. Nay, I believe I may go to the next county too. But gloriari non est meum. However, sir, as you are pleased to bid me speak, says Joseph, you know my late master, Sir Thomas Booby, was bred at a public school, and he was the finest gentleman in all the neighborhood. And I have often heard him say, if he had a hundred boys, he would breed them all at the same place. It was his opinion, and I have often heard him deliver it, that a boy taken from a public school and carried into the world will learn more in one year there than one of a private education will in five. He used to say that the school itself initiated him a great way. I remember that was his very expression. For great schools are little societies where a boy of any observation may see in epitome what he will afterwards find in the world at large. Hinc ilie lacrimae, for that very reason, quoth Adams, I prefer a private school, where boys may be kept in innocence and ignorance, for, according to that fine passage in the play of Cato, the only English tragedy I ever read, if knowledge of the world must make men villains, may Juba ever live in ignorance. Who would not rather preserve the purity of his child than wish him to attain the whole circle of arts and sciences, which, by the by, he may learn in the classes of a private school? For I would not be vain, but I esteem myself to be second to none, nulli secundum, in teaching these things, so that a lad may have as much learning in a private as in a public education. And with submission, answered Joseph, he may get as much vice, witness several country gentlemen, 
who were educated within five miles of their own houses, and are as wicked as if they had known the world from their infancy. I remember when I was in the stable, if a young horse was vicious in his nature, no correction would make him otherwise. I take it to be equally the same among men. If a boy be of a mischievous, wicked inclination, no school, though ever so private, will ever make him good. On the contrary, if he be of a righteous temper, you may trust him to London, or wherever else you please, he will be in no danger of being corrupted. Besides, I have often heard my master say that the discipline practised in public schools was much better than that in private. "'You talk like a jackanapes,' says Adams, "'and so did your master discipline, indeed, "'because one man scourges twenty or thirty boys "'more in a morning than another. "'Is he therefore a better disciplinarian? "'I do presume to confer in this point "'with all who have taught from Chiron's time to this day. "'And if I was master of six boys only, "'I would preserve as good discipline amongst them as the master of the greatest school in the world. I say nothing, young man. Remember, I say nothing. But if Sir Thomas himself had been educated nearer home and under the tuition of somebody, remember, I name nobody, it might have been better for him. But his father must institute him in the knowledge of the world. Nemo mortalium omnibus Ores sapit. Joseph, seeing him run on in this manner, asked pardon many times, assuring he had no intention to offend. I believe you had not, child, said he, and I am not angry with you, but for maintaining good discipline in a school, for this. And then he ran on as before named all the masters who were recorded in old books, and preferred himself to them all. Indeed, if this good man had an enthusiasm, or what the vulgar call a blind side, it was this. He thought a schoolmaster the greatest character in the world, and himself the greatest of all schoolmasters, neither of which points he would have given up to Alexander the Great, at the head of his army. Adams continued his subject till they came to one of the beautifulest spots of ground in the universe. It was a kind of natural amphitheatre, formed by the winding of a small rivulet, which was planted with thick woods, and the trees rose gradually above each other, by the natural ascent of the ground they stood on, which ascent, as they hid with their boughs, they seemed to have disposed by the design of the most skilful planter. The soil was spread with a verdure which no paint could imitate, and the whole place might have raised romantic ideas in elder minds than those of Joseph and Fanny without the assistance of love. Here they arrived about noon, 
and Joseph proposed to Adams that they should rest a while in this delightful place, and refresh themselves with some provisions which the good nature of Mrs. Wilson had provided them with. Adams made no objection to the proposal, so down they sat, and pulling out a cold fowl and a bottle of wine, they made a repast with a cheerfulness which might have attracted the envy of more splendid tables. I should not omit that they found among their provision a little paper containing a piece of gold, which Adams, imagining had been put there by mistake, would have returned back to restore it. But he was at last convinced by Joseph that Mr. Wilson had taken this handsome way of furnishing them with a supply for their journey, on his having related the distress which they had been in when they were relieved by the generosity of the peddler. Adams said he was glad to see such an instance of goodness, not so much for the conveniency which it brought them, as for the sake of the doer, whose reward would be great in heaven. He likewise comforted himself with a reflection that he should shortly have an opportunity of returning at him, for the gentleman was within a week to make a journey into Somersetshire, to pass through Adam's parish, and had faithfully promised to call on him, a circumstance which he thought too immaterial to mention before, but which those who have as great an affection for that gentleman as ourselves will rejoice at, as it may give the hopes of seeing him again. Then Joseph made a speech on charity, which the reader, if he is so disposed, may see in the next chapter, for we scorn to betray him into any such reading without first giving him warning. End of Book 3, Chapters 4 and 5 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox